podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Monday, the 29th of September, brought to you by epilindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while also keeping your data safe. Go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25. That's EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 25% off. Do also remember to check out the other podcasts from Anfield Index, the Tad Predictable podcast hosted by Tadiwa and the EPL Roundtable podcast hosted by Kevin DeVries. Right, folks, let me begin by saying there's not a whole lot to talk about because it's the Monday in an international break. But Watford have given me some content, so we're gonna we're gonna dig deep. Uh, Watford have today announced the sacking of Rob Edwards, who was appointed in May, one of the most highly touted young coaches in English football. Had done an excellent job with Forest Green in his one season there. He had secured promotion from League Two into League One. He had won manager of the season he won three manager of the months and Watford made the move to bring him in 11 games later he has been fired now if we take a look at Watford they currently sit 10th in the championship on 14 points that is one point outside of the playoffs and six points outside of the automatic promotion spots with 38 games left in the season. And they have made this decision. They were knocked out of the EFL Cup by MK Dons, and I'm sure that annoyed some people, but is it really relevant? If we look at what they did in the transfer market, they brought in Volkan Bayo, who seemed unnecessary, Ray Minaj, who seemed unnecessary, uh, ben Hammer, who's decent, and Mario Gasper, whose years past his best. They also loaned in Hamza Chowdhury, Keenan Davis, uh, Hassan Kamara, who they'd had last season on loan, and Courtney House, also from Aston Villa, like Davis. They loaned out Domingus Quina, who could have been useful to them this year, Ashley Fletcher, Quadwo Ba, uh, George Sakura, Jurgen. 
Alitiman and uh, Ignacio Pasuto, none of whom were going to play. But they lost in terms of sales and players that were released. Chucha Hernandez, Philip Zinkernagel, who could have been a, a big player for them this year after a, a good season with Forrest last year. Uh, Rob Elliott, Ben Foster, Andre Gray, Josh King, Juraj Kuchka, Nicholas Nkulu, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, who I believe is the son of Maurizio Pochettino. Am I right in saying that? Yes, he is indeed the son of Maurizio Pochettino. Um, who else went? Musa Sissoko went, Adam Messina went, Kiko Femenia went, Pontus Dolbach went, Samir went, Emmanuel Dennis was sold, uh, Penaranda was released, I think. Danny Rose was released. They lost a lot of players and didn't bring a lot of good players in. Now, the squad wasn't bad. Um, the goalkeeping situation, not great. Wouldn't be a big fan of Daniel Backman. Ngaki is not a tremendously good right back, but could have been decent cover. You just needed a better starter. You needed centre-backs and you didn't address it. You've still got Truce de Kong, Craig Cathcart, Christian Cabaselli, all really poor. Courtney House is okay, and he's fine in the championship. Seralta, I think, is decent. We'll wait and see what he does for them. Matty Pollock is a talented young player, but, you know, he's a young player. And then James Morris. So there was a definite need for more strengthening at centre-back and another uh, right wing-back brought in. In midfield, I, I like Hamza Chowdhury. I think he's a good get. I like uh, Imran Luza. I think he's a good player. Why is Tom Cleverley still at the club? Ken Seema, again, why is he at the club? Why is Dan Gosling at the club? Yasser Espria looks a real talent. Tom Deli Bashiru looks okay. And Kayamba, I don't know what they bought with him. Up front, Keenan Davis is very, very promising. Um, but I'm... I'm just not sure. Like he's already 24, and just doesn't really doesn't show enough for me. Um, doesn't show enough to warrant playing regularly. Like he's he's got the talent. He's just inconsistent. Uh, it strikes me that maybe the one they should have gone and tried to get from Villa was Cameron Archer rather than Keenan Davis. But it is what it is. Joe uh, Pedro is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic player. Ishmael Asar is excellent. Samuel Kalu is talented. Don't know much about Hungbo. Adrian Blake's a kid. Uh, Bio just looks poor. And Minaj looks okay, but again, it's early days. In the 10 league games that they played, they had uh, won three, drawn five and lost two, scored 11, conceded 11. They beat Sheffield United 1-0, drew at West Brom away, beat Burnley at home. They're all decent results. They're all against teams that will be pushing for promotion. Uh, Drew at Birmingham's not a great one. Drew at Preston, again, not a great one. Beat Borough. Drew at Rotherham. Lost to QPR. Lost to Blackburn. Again, I don't think they're bad results. Drew at Sunderland. I don't think it's as bad as what was made out. Like I, I don't think it's been some disastrous start for them. I'm really not sure what it is that the ownership were were looking for in this season. I mean, we know the puzzles are mental. They've owned the club since 2012. 
and they've just gone through managers at an alarming rate. The first manager they sacked was Sean Dyche. He joined Burnley and basically managed Burnley for almost a decade. In that time, they went through Zola, Sanino, uh, Yunit as a as a caretaker, Billy McKinley as a caretaker, Jukanovic got them promoted and left, Kike Sanchez-Flores, Mazzari, Marco Silva, Javi Gracia, Kike Sanchez-Flores again, Hayden Mullins as a caretaker, Nigel Pearson, Hayden Mullins again as a caretaker, uh, Vladimir Ivic, Cisco Muniz, Claudio Ranieri, Roy Hodgson, and now Rob Edwards. Like, that is ludicrous turnover. Absolutely obscene turnover. You're never going to have stability or be able to build properly when you're going through that many managers. Two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, minus four caretaker spells. So 14 managers in a decade, like you just can't ever have any stability with that, especially when you get a really good young manager who was an exciting appointment for them. And then you just, you don't back him properly and you bin him off after 11 games in charge, 10 in the league, one in a cup competition that you weren't going to win anyway. So what's the point? And you bring in Slavin Village, who, like, he's done okay as a manager in some spells, and then he's had other spells where he's been awful. So he managed Hajek Split. He did fairly well. He managed the Croatian in the 21s. Not great, but okay. Did a good job with Croatia. Was a mess at Lokomotiv Moscow. Wasn't great with Besiktas. Started well at West Ham, then it fell apart. Was a disaster with Al-Itihad. Didn't do well with West Brom. Finished second, but it, they weren't good. Um, and then with Beijing, was a disaster. And was sacked after 29 games, with only nine wins. He did get West Brom promoted, and that's probably the highlight of his international of, of his management career since since leaving Croatia, really. That's probably it. I just don't know what the point of this appointment is. He's never been a standout manager. He's 15 years older than Edwards. I mean, he maybe he was cheap. Maybe he's happy to come in knowing he's probably not going to see out the 18-month contract that you've given him. But this just seems like such a stupid move. And I'll be interested to see what Watford fans have to say about this. Because I, I, I just look at this and think, what are you doing, really? Look, I know it worked for them before. I, I get that it worked for them before. I, I, the last time they went down, they appointed a manager in Vladimir Ivic. They sacked him in the December. They appointed Cisco. They got promoted. And maybe they're thinking, well, it's worked before. Why can't it work again? I, I just don't see it. Like, Yukanovich is the same. He came in mid, like, in October and got them promoted. So it has worked actually twice for them. But, like, do we know that Ivic wouldn't have got them promoted? 
Do we know that? Yukanovich took over um, because Oscar Garcia had just had walked out. It wasn't that he, he was fired. He just he'd had enough. I just I just I struggle to see what the logic is here. I think it's a really poor decision. And I think it's one they'll regret because I think Rob Edwards will have a good career as a manager. Now, he did burn some bridges in the way he left Forest Green. And um, that that might be held against him. But I still think he'll have a good career. Watford, though, they're, they're, they're never boring, are they? Said we were digging deep for content today. And hand me the shovel, because here we go. The biggest, most interesting, most exciting game of the weekend. Sidemen FC 8, YouTube All-Stars 7. This is what we're reduced to. Um, This was a load of fun. It was a load of fun, this game. It was a bunch of young men who've made a name for themselves on YouTube using their platform for good. This game was played at the Valley, home of Charlton. It sold out 27,000 plus. At its peak, there were 2.6 million people watching on YouTube. Overall, I believe they raised, they have raised so far over a million quid. There was a steady 2 million for the entirety of the second half. And the game was fun. Like, there's a few of these lads can't play football at all. But they don't pretend like they can. They they know that they can't. But they're there for fun and they're there to try and raise money for charity. But let me say, there was a couple of these lads who are really good. Now, I don't know that they could ever make any kind of career out of it. Sure, a few of them could play non-league. Maybe even League 2. Maybe one or two of them, if they'd committed to it early enough, could have played League 1 level. Not sure anyone, any of them would have got above that. But the Sidemen 11 had uh, Pieface in goal. Not familiar with him. I know a few of them. Not familiar with Pieface. I, I know he's had a drastic weight loss. Uh, and I do remember seeing a clip of him on a podcast once. But that was about it. Uh, he played in goal. He was not good. In defense, uh, guys telling me that Pieface is a Twitch streamer. So that's who he is. Uh, Cal Frizi, who I'm broadly aware of. Uh, Bazinga, who's one of the sidemen. Rotashaw, who's another one of the sidemen. I, I know those two. And Zerka, they're all part of the sidemen. So I know who they are. Uh, Mr. Beast, probably the biggest thing going on YouTube right now. He can't play football, though. But doesn't pretend that he can. KSI is the by far the biggest star here. Uh, Mr. Beast, bigger YouTuber, but KSI is... I mean, boxing, music, YouTube, whatever. Everything the, the, the guy touches seems to turn to absolute gold. Uh, Chris MD, I, I've seen his football videos. He is a talented player. Uh, Tobe Jizzle, Toby Brown, he's a very, very good footballer. And he's probably one who could have made a, a semi-decent career for himself if he'd committed to it at an early age. Great pace, good technique. Uh, Mini Minter, Simon Minter, very, very talented player. Again, probably could have played non-league quite comfortably and made an okay living, but he prefers to make millions off YouTube. And then Vicstar123, who, God bless the fella, can't play football at all, but scored a goal 
and seems to be incredibly popular. Obviously, he's the the final member of the Sidemen. Seems to be hugely popular. Uh, for the YouTube All-Stars, we had Cal the Dragon in goal. Uh, I'm vaguely aware that he's a TikToker and he is an awful goalkeeper. Um, Will Any, I've seen some of his videos. He's quite funny. He played right back. Harry Panero, he really impressed me at centre-back. He was like a lone man at the back at times. Theo Baker is a good player. He's played in soccer aid. He could have made a, a decent career, I think, if, if he hadn't had so many injuries and had committed to it early. In midfield, Noah Beck, he, he absolutely could still, I think he's still only 19 or 20, he absolutely could make a career playing football professionally. Now, he's probably making much more money doing what he does now, I think, with TikTok and YouTube and that. Uh, Philly, I thought, was probably the best footballer on the pitch. There was, he he was the one that seemed to be able to do a bit of everything. Could carry the ball, good passer, really strong. Reminded me a lot of Ginny Wijnaldum in terms of ball retention, dribbling ability. Uh, scored a worldie as well. Uh, Castro left wing, seemed a willing runner and scored a nice goal. Uh, Chunks, who scored an absolute worldie. Um has talent for sure, but obviously not the physique to play professionally. Uh, Nico Omolana, who I know because he ran for mayor of London, and I've watched a few of his videos, and he's very funny. And I show speed, and I had no idea who this guy was. I had no clue who this fellow was, but he is certifiable. He is a lunatic. 20 seconds into the game, he flung himself into a challenge, arrived late on KSI put him in a heap on the ground and then proceeded to celebrate uh, and spent most of the rest of the game booting people up in the air, failing to control the football, the football sliding on the floor and, uh, and running very fast to be fair. And also terrifying referee Mark Clattenburg. So again, like the pull to be able to get a Clattenburg in as referee is, is very impressive. Um, Not only that, but foot mob, did statistical analysis of this game. So we have player ratings, um, which range from a 2.5 for Cal the Dragon to a 10 for Mini Minter. I think that was originally a 9.9, but has been upped. He got three goals, three assists. So the game began with chunks scoring from probably 25 yards into the top corner. It was a fairly floating shot that you would have thought a goalkeeper should save, but he didn't save, and a uh, goal it was. Uh, Nico Milano made a 2-0 to the YouTube All-Stars on nine minutes. Really fast start to the game. Uh, Sidemen failing to clear the lines. Young Philly with a tackle in the Sidemen box. Ball broke to Nico. Good finish. And then either a pitch invader or someone that had been employed to run around with a GoPro strapped to them managed to be standing right beside him and get it on film. Um... Three minutes later, the sidemen were back in the game. Vic Star one, two, three, legendary poacher with his second goal in these uh, all star these uh, charity games. This is the fourth one they've done. I think he scored a penalty. I'm not sure if it was the last one, the one before. Um, but he scored uh, from a mini mentor assist. Good work by uh Toby Brown, fed mini mentor. Nice little pass. It's a scuffed shot, uh, that the keeper should save, but we'll just call it a rip roar that ripples the net um toby made it two 
on 18 minutes, again, assisted by Mini Minter uh, and a good finish. Philly made it 3-2 on 26 minutes, 3-2 to YouTube, with, I think, the goal of the game. Well, maybe the second best goal of the game. This was a stunning goal. Turned his man about 22, 23 yards out, and from the angle, just buried it in the top corner. Uh, Keeper didn't even try and save, just looked at it as it flew by him and looked completely bemused at what had happened. Um, Mini Minter scored his first of the game on 32 minutes to make it 3-3, assisted by Manny. Uh, Assist is is a bit of a stretch. The ball was played to him in the right-hand channel. I don't know what the goalkeeper was doing, perhaps expecting a cross, but was stood about eight yards out of his goal and all Mini Minter needed to do was put it in the gap. Uh, Theo Baker made it 4-3 to the YouTube All-Stars just before halftime with a relatively well-taken goal. Uh, Out in the second half, Toby makes it 4-4. You would like to see the defence do better, but it's a really good ball from Simon Minter. Crossfield to Toby, who's completely unmarked, gets in on goal. I think it's Will and he slides back in, but he jinx him and, and ran the keeper and scores. A really nicely worked goal from the YouTube All-Stars to make it 5-4. That Castro finishes off with a nice left-footed shot. Played out from the back, built through midfield, and then Theo Baker played him in. And it was a really good goal, to be fair. Uh, I show speed, given the first and only yellow card of the game on 65. That could realistically have been his fifth yellow card because he booted at least four people in the first half. Um, Mini Minter made it 5-5 on 67. This is woeful goalkeeping. Absolutely woeful. Uh, Chris MD made it 6-5 to the sidemen on 71. Again, it's awful goalkeeping. These goals are carbon copies of each other. Ball played into the right-hand corner of the box. A a low shot and the keeper trying to clear them with his feet rather than trying to save them. Bizarre. Um... Nico Omolana made it 6-6. A shot from distance, I can't remember who from, that the goalkeeper should do much better with. Spills, Nico taps home. Again, on 81, the YouTube All-Star score and the goalkeeper should do better. Bit of a mess in the middle of the box. And uh, Will and E gets his goal. And that looked like it might be the winner, but then we got two absolutely outstanding goals. These two... And Philly's goal and the Castro goal. These four really stood out as just really good goals, regardless of the fact that it's a, a charity game a bunch of a, a, among a bunch of lads who aren't pro footballers. The four goals were really good. These two in particular. There's a brilliant ball played wide to Toby. He draws the defender, crosses with the outside of his right boot from the left wing. For his brother Manny, who meets it with a diving header at the back post. Really good goal. Really good goal. And then the sidemen win it on 88 minutes. Uh, and Isan Gibb with a poor clearance. Mini Minter gets the ball 30 yards, 35 yards out. Good first touch. And just clips the keeper. Without making it look like it was a whole lot of effort. Just chipped the keeper. Absolutely outstanding finish. Those two, the Castro goal and the Young Philly goal, they were really, really impressive. I think Young Phillies and the 
Manny diving header are probably the best goals of the bunch because the the mini minter winner is the result of a bad defensive clearance. Um, the Castro goal is very good as well, but it, I, I just think the goalkeeper could do a lot better. I don't think many goalkeepers save the Manny diving header or the the Philly goal. I think they're, they're just Philly ones outstanding. Really, really powerful strike. And Manny's is just a great cross by his brother and a great diving header. But the game was just fun. It was lots of fun to watch. And you just had lads out there enjoying themselves. You had uh, others coming off the bench. George not found. Don't know who he is. I think he does. um, Is it Minecraft? I think he does Minecraft. Uh, Chandler and Chris are like two of the sidekicks of Mr. Beast. Danny Aaron's, I don't know. Deji is KSI's brother, and he does boxing as well. It's the only reason I know him. Um, off the bench for the, the side men, you had Callux, who I know, Carl, who's the other one of Mr. Beast's Mr. Beast's sidekicks. Uh oh, uh, Yaman Aaron's is a, a FIFA streamer as well. Laser Beam, no idea who he is. Manny, I know he's Toby's brother. Uh, Randolph does music I think he does Pokemon or something as well and he's like close mates with all the Simon so I know who he is and JME I want to say he does music as well I could be wrong but I want to say he does music but yeah I, I've heard of him I think he played one of them before but like I said it was just fun and the crowd really seemed to enjoy themselves and you know it was a, a chance for parents to bring kids they had a real referee Real linesman. They had uh, good commentary, actually. Um, now the fella's name is going to escape me. He he owns the the hashtag United team. I wouldn't mind. He follows the EPL Index account on Twitter. What is his name? Hashtag United owner. Spencer Owen, Spencer Owen, that's that's bad form on my behalf. Spencer Owen on commentary with Stephen Tries, and he's quite funny. Spencer's actually really good at this, and if he ever wants to, could probably make a full time career out of being a commentator. He was really really good, um, far better than when they had True Geordie and that Lawrence twat. He bugs the life out of me. He really does bug the life out of me. Um, this was just better. This was really good. All round, credit to them. It was really well put on, really well organized. And everybody had fun. And when I, I literally went on Twitter at about five past three. And I wasn't sure if I was going to watch it or not. And next thing, my entire timeline got took over by talk of the game. So I threw it on and literally watched the entire rest of it because it was just fun. And all of Twitter was abuzz with this game and clips of the goals. There's been compilations put together of some of the best players and some of the worst players. Mark Goldbridge, I should mention, was manager of the YouTube All-Stars. Um Billy Wingrove from the F2 Freestylers was manager of the Sidemen team. I noticed that Jeremy Lynch wasn't invited. I wonder why. Probably because no one likes him. 
Um, the whole thing was just fun. It genuinely just was fun. And I normally obviously do this podcast a bit more of a serious thing, talking about the Premier League and whatever, but I just thought it was worth doing this because it was just a great event. And I just think it's brilliant when a group of young lads like the seven sidemen who've become megastars. I saw a video on YouTube the other day about their rise and, you know, how they've just grown out their YouTube channel into a clothing brand. They've obviously all got their own individual channels with millions of subscribers as well. But they've got a clothing brand. They've got a vodka. They've got like a restaurant service type thing. And everything they touch just seems to go well. They've got their own uh, platform called Side Plus, which is a monthly subscription thing with podcasts and whatever else on it. And they just seem like they've really mastered their craft. And like, they started out as kids. They're now grown men. I think at least one of them, two of them are engaged. One of them just had a, one of them had a kid yesterday, the day after the game. So congrats to him, to Bazinga. Uh, Ethan, I think, is Ethan Payne, I think is his real name. Uh, congrats to him and his partner on the birth of their child. I, I just think it's fantastic. People have watched, obviously people younger than me, but they've watched these lads grow up. They've grown up with them to an extent. <clears throat> and now these lads who are in a position where they are role models to a lot of the younger generation and they're showing how even though they've reached the pinnacle of their own fields they still want to give back to those less well off and as i said they raised over a million quid i would imagine the true number is going to come out has been a little bit a, a decent bit higher than that because from what i can glean Many of these lads are also very charitable in their own just day-to-day lives. I think uh, Simon Minter has his own charity. And obviously they had Mr. Beast involved. And that guy, the the charitable work he does, if you don't know Mr. Beast, firstly, go and watch his videos because the production level is exceptional. Watch his Squid Games video. It is, it's probably the greatest thing ever to go on YouTube. I think it cost him like four, was it four million he spent on the video? But the video itself currently has, so the, the winner of it got five four 456,000. The video itself currently has 288,739,133 views. It only came out in November of last year. So it is pushing towards the 300 million view mark before it hits a year old. Absolutely incredible. But watch that video because just the production level, the attention to detail, it's insane. And you can also see his charitable work. He's got a, a channel called Beast Philanthropy and he's involved in, you know, feeding the homeless. He has a big... um warehouse that he routinely fills with food and then distributes to local people in need uh he does work in planting trees and cleaning the ocean and he buys cars for people he buys houses and just gifts them to people because they need a house 
Like the guy just seems incredible. And I don't like Joe Rogan, but I did watch the Joe Rogan podcast with him. And I was just stunned by by how mature this guy is for a fella in his 20s. He, he just seems like he wants to save the world and he's not all that interested in becoming a rich person by himself. Even though every video he does, he's got 105 million subscribers and his videos just do incredible numbers. Like 22 million in a, on a video he released yesterday. 38 million on a video from three weeks ago, 53 on a video from a month ago, 70, 78, 53, 106, because he rebuilt Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, uh, 96, 89, 132, 73. Like you can sort by most popular. He's got 6, 12, 18, 24, 30. 36, 48. He's got 52 videos over 100 million views. And three more on 99 million, two more on 98 million. So imagine the money he's making off ad revenue. And he just gives most of it away. And that's just one channel. He's got one channel with 105 million subscribers. His gaming channel has nearly 30 million. His reacts channel, nearly 20 million. His shorts channel, over 15 million. His second channel that I don't really know what he does with has 7.3 million. I don't even know if he ever uses it because I've never seen it before. Uh, his philanthropy channel just passed 10 million. He's got five channels over 10 million. He's got to be the first person to do that. Um, so he gets the diamond play button, but... Yeah, 105 million subscribers on his main channel. What does PewDiePie have? PewDiePie has, if this would ever load, 111 million. And he only has one channel. Now, admittedly, most of the people subscribed to the other channels probably already subscribed to that. But combined, he's looking at 50, 60 uh 67 about 72 million on top so about 177 million subscribers across his six channels that's ridiculous that's ridiculous this guy is a phenomenon um and having him involved he's probably going to make a big donation as well because that's the type of thing he does well yeah i mean you just you see these lads and you have to admire them you have to admire them doing more as a bunch of YouTubers to help the poor than the government of the UK. You know, I, I glowed about Marcus Rashford and I have to glow about these lads. They're, they're just, they're an absolute credit to themselves and, and to everybody around them. Phenomenal stuff. Um, and, I, and I would genuinely, I would genuinely say that Toby... Chris MD, Mini Minter, Philly, Beck, Teal Baker, and Harry Panero. Maybe not Harry. Maybe. Could all are all good footballers. That's all just I'll say about them. They're good footballers. And Chunks is a good footballer. So you've got five, six, seven, eight of them 
I would say are outright good footballers. Fair play. Fair play. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to take a look at the England national team. From an outsider's point of view, from someone who wants them to fail, we're going to take a look at the England national team. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. I should also point out before I go on to the England team that Mark Mark Goldbridge, looking resplendent in his suit, uh, I think he might have borrowed the suit from Gareth Southgate. So that transitions me nicely into Gareth Southgate. So England played Italy the other night, lost 1-0, and were relegated in the Nations League. Uh, no longer among the elite of the Nations League. Today they play Germany. So. Southgate has left. Trent Alexander-Arnold. Fikayo Tomore. Jared Bone. And James Ward-Prowse. Out of the match day squad. For tonight's game against the Germans. Uh, Jack Grealish is suspended. The other ones are just left out. They're not injured. They are available to play and he has chosen not to play them. Now, I can understand from a form point of view, Trent hasn't been very good this season. Bowen has been poor this season. But the form thing doesn't hold any water when Harry Maguire is in the team. Doesn't hold any water when Luke Shaw's in the squad or Ben Chilwell's in the squad. Fikayo Tomori, it's not just that he should be in the squad for tonight's game. He should be starting for England because he is the best English centre-back right now. And I don't think it's actually all that close. That guy is starting week in, week out for the team who won Serie A last season. And was, if not the best, at worst, the second best centre-back in the entire league last season. He plays regularly in the Champions League. And when we look at the other centre-back options, I like who am I meant to be impressed by here? Eric Dyer can only play in a three. Harry Maguire has been really poor for over a year now. Connor Cody is not good enough to play international football. John Stones is decent and would probably right now be my choice to partner to Murray. But... He's not even first choice at City. Mark Wehi's really good, but he is young. But Tamori is better than any of them. He's also better than Ben White. He's better than Tyron Mings. Both of whom have been called up more frequently than him and have more caps than him. He is England's best centre-back by, on current form, a considerable margin. And overall, I think probably if Joe Gomez was 100% the Joe Gomez before the knee injury, Gomez and Tamori would be the pairing. It wouldn't even be a debate. Or should be the pairing. It wouldn't even be a debate. But 
Gomez has fallen off, obviously, since the injury, and that's understandable given the nature of the injury. I just don't understand how Tamori is not getting, even in the squad, let alone in the team. How is he not in the 23-man squad for tonight? Like, how is Connor Cody a better option? How is Eric Dyer a better option? At least Dyer and Cody, to their credit, are playing relatively well this season. Maguire's been awful. Awful. And can't get a game now. Kyle Walker plays in the back three. He's not a better centre-back than Fikayo Tomori. Like, Trent is undoubtedly England's best right-back. But for whatever reason, Southgate doesn't want to use him. So he uses Kyle Walker, Reese James, and Kieran Trippier. Kyle Walker's massively overrated. Without his pace, he'd be a below-average defender. And he's not great going forward. Kieran Trippier is an average defender at best. He's got really good set-piece delivery, a good passer. He's a poor man's Trent. And Reese James has immense physicality, good pace. His defensive instincts are decent. His positional sense is appalling. And he's not great 1v1. He's not a better defender than Trent. He just isn't. But because Liverpool bad is a popular thing to do on Twitter to get yourself some likes, anytime Trent makes a mistake or it's assumed something happens that's Trent's fault, Trent gets the blame. Whereas it rarely happens with Reese James and Kyle Walker, who make as many, if not more, mistakes. Reese James has been hiding as a wingback for as long as Thomas Tuchel has been manager and has lots of protection and still gets rinsed on a regular basis. Kyle Walker... I've never seen, I, I haven't seen a, a fullback get turned inside out as many times in the last 10 years as he did against um, Alan St. Maximum a couple of weeks back. Just absolutely tortured him. That's the same Alan St. Maximum who has spent time, considerable time in Trent's pocket. You, know, you look at the left back options in the squad Chilwell, not first choice at Chelsea. Luke Shaw can't get a game at United. So, there's been a split in the media over Southgate and the style of football, nobody thinks England play good football. Not even his supporters think England play good football. The the people who think he needs to be replaced seem to be led by Henry Winter, who's a very highly respected voice, a very powerful voice when it comes to the England national team in the national media. And he doesn't think much of him. He criticised the decision to give him a new contract during the Euros, which I was the wrong decision for certain. Um, the pro-Southgate voices, Jamie Carragher has been one of the most vocal about being pro-Southgate. So I said it to him at the weekend. He follows me on Twitter. He follows the, the EPL Index account. And I said to him, like, He's not picking the best squad available to him. And Carragher asked, well, who should be in? So let's look at the centre-backs for starters. Like, why is Harry Maguire there? Why is he there? Max Kilman is better than him. Lewis Dunk is better than him. Adam Webster is better than him. More importantly, all of them have or do regularly play in a back three at club level. Maguire doesn't. All of them play in teams who have played out from the back 
Maguire hasn't. His team tried to, and he got dropped after two games. Under Ollie, they weren't playing out from the back. Ollie Ball didn't require playing out from the back. It was give it to the fullbacks and transition it forward as quickly as possible. So, like, any of those should be in the team at centre-back over Maguire, over Connor Cody, all of whom are better than Connor Cody as well. Uh, I would argue that Kilman, I, I, you know, all three of them are just better than Eric Dyer. They are. They're just flat-out better than Eric Dyer as well. Like, of that England group of centre-backs, I don't know that anybody other than Tamori and Gwehi, based on form and being first choice for your club, should be in that squad. Neither of the left-backs should, but if you're going to pick one, you pick Chilwell, because he will play more often than Shaw. But Tyreek Mitchell is more deserving than uh, Luke Shaw. James Justin is more deserving than Luke Shaw, and he can play both sides. Um, I, I don't know why you'd bring four right-backs. I, I just don't understand the four right-back thing. Why, in a squad of 26, did you pick... 12 defenders. What goes through your mind that you think, you, even if you're playing a back five, you don't need 12 defenders? And I get you're a bit short of numbers in midfield, but Jesus, what? You look at the midfield, like Jordan Henderson doesn't warrant a position in the team. He's been awful for two years. The forwards, I don't really have an argument against any of them. Uh, Bowen on form probably shouldn't be there and Sancho on form or Rashford on form probably should but I just don't think he picks the best the best players like if you look at the England team goalkeepers there is no standout England goalkeeper you've got Nick Pope Aaron Ramsdale Dean Henderson in the current squad Pickford who's the undoubted number one regardless of how poor he actually is uh, Fraser Forster and Sam Johnson. They've all been called up within the last 12 months. All six of them. And not one of them is actually is actually a top goalkeeper. None of them are a top goalkeeper. But they're what he's got. So you pick whoever. Now he wants to pick Pickford. I would say Nick Pope is, is the best goalkeeper of the six. I think it comes down to Ramsdale or Henderson as to who the long-term number one is unless someone like Etienne Green or Joseph Boxick pops off and develops in the next couple of years. But Nick Pope should be number one right now. How is the England back for not picking itself? Like, I know he's not first choice for City, but John Stones is comfortably better than Maguire, than um, Cody, and then Dyer. Comfortably better than Mings. How is how is him and Tamori not the pairing? I just I don't get it. Same thing with left back. Like Chilwell's not first choice, but the other options bring in James Justin. Chilwell's already in the squad. How is he not starting? How did England in the last game not go Pope, Trent, Stones, Tamori, Chilwell? How was that not the back five? Then in midfield, Rice and Bellingham. And unless Calvin Phillips comes back and looks good before the World Cup, you roll in with Rice and Bellingham. You've got really good number 10 options. But the best one of them is sitting at home. Like, why has Jack Grealish been in the squad? He's been poor since joining City. 
Jack Grealish was at Aston Villa playing really well and Southgate wouldn't pick him. As soon as he went to City, he's in the squad every single week. Every week, without fail. Every time Southgate calls up, Jack Grealish in it. And he hasn't played well for England. He's been bang average. James Madison got 18 goals and 12 assists last year, has been the lone bright spot in a really bad Leicester team this year, and he sat at home while Jack Grealish is in the squad. James Madison's a better player than Mason Mount. At this point in time, he's a better player than Phil Foden, especially as a 10. But you could play Foden wide and Sterling the other side, Kane up front, Madison as the 10, Rice and Bellingham. How? That picks itself, surely. Then you've got Saka as a backup on both wings. If you have Sancho in the squad, he's a backup on both wings. Mount can be a backup to Madison. Uh, Phillips plus one, probably Ward-Prowse as the two backup central midfielders. Like, this shouldn't be hard. But the argument I've seen made is, oh, well, like, he got to a World Cup semi-final. So you can't question Southgate. And Carragher tried to make this point with me as well. He said, because I said to him, if you had had 12 really bad months and been dropped by Liverpool and were sitting on the bench, would you have expected a call up into the squad? And he avoided the question. He said he wouldn't have expected to start. But then he said it was because they had Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, the two most overrated centre-backs in the Premier League era. Um, But he, he didn't tell me whether he would have expected to be called up or not. But let me tell you now, if Jamie Carragher had been sitting on the bench for Liverpool, having been garbage for 12 months, the way Maguire's been garbage for 12 months for United, Fabio Capello wouldn't have looked at him twice. And Carragher was a noted leader, a strong presence in the dressing room, and a popular player to be around, other than when he was moaning about things. So for all the talk of Cody's in the squad for this and Maguire's in for this, it's all nonsense. You don't call up five or six players because they're good in the dressing room. But Southgate has always botched decisions like this. Like, let's think back, not last season, the season before. Esri Conza was, by a considerable margin, the best English centre-back that season. Not overall, but that season, Esri Conza was outstanding. Tyron Mings was a train wreck next to him. Who was in the England squad? Tyron Mings. Now Mings is playing fairly well and he doesn't get a look in. So Maguire's in the squad because he played well in a World Cup four years ago. And Southgate can't be questioned because England did well in a World Cup four years ago. Let's recap that World Cup, shall we? They played the mighty Tunisia in the first game and scraped a win, 2-1. Then they played the mighty Panama and they beat them 6-1 with the flukiest hat-trick I've ever seen from Harry Maguire. Then they played their first good team in Belgium. Belgium rested some players and still beat them. So they played one good team and lost and beat two mediocre teams. Then we go to the knockouts. 
They play Colombia, who are decent. They fail to beat them. It goes to penalties. And after Henderson misses and puts England on the back foot, Uribe and Baca bottle their penalties and Colombia throw it away and end up going out. England go through. Their only goal in that game was a Harry Kane penalty. In the quarterfinals, they played an average Sweden and beat them 2-0. In the semifinals, they played the second good team of the tournament in Croatia, and they lost 2-1. And in the third and fourth place playoff, they played their third good team of the tournament and lost 2-0 to Belgium, who they'd obviously lost to originally as well. So they played three games against good teams and lost all of them. Their best win at that World Cup was a 2-0 win over Sweden. And this wasn't like a vintage Swedish team. This wasn't even close to a vintage Swedish team. Let's, Let's go back and recap the Sweden team, shall we? Because I think you'll be surprised at how painfully mediocre this team was goalkeeper Robin Olsen in defence Emil Kraft Newcastle's backup right back Victor Lindelof the fourth centre back at United Andreas Granqvist who was well past his best at that point Ludwig Augustinsson who's a decent player he's the backup left back at Aston Villa in midfield Victor Klassen, who's average. Sebastian Larsson, well past his best. Alban Ekdal. Really? Emil Forsberg, who's good, not great, on the left wing. Marcus Berg and Ola Tovenen up front. Off the bench, John Guidetti, Martin Olsen, and Pontus Janssen. That is painfully mediocre painfully mediocre let's even recap the Colombia team they played Ospina's decent Santiago Arias he's okay Yerry Mina when fit is good Davinson Sanchez has been a big disaster a big one big disappointment at, at, at uh, Spurs uh, Monica average left back Wilmer Barrios decent Carlos Sanchez average Jefferson Lerma was in the championship for a couple of years and no one missed him. Juan Cuadrado, average. Juan Fernando Quintera could score a worldie, but below average. And Falca. Off the bench, Baca, Uribe, Muriel, and Christian Zabata. Like, it is mediocre at best. So that's what they did at the World Cup. They beat two. They beat a bad team in Panama, a below average team in Tunisia, lost to a good team in Belgium, drew with an average team in Colombia, beat an average Sweden, lost to a good team in Croatia, lost to a good team in Belgium. There is nothing in that to be impressed or excited by. You were literally the beneficiaries of the draw breaking your way. Nothing more, nothing less. 
Now let's take a look at the Euros. So in England's group, they beat Croatia. That's a good win. That's a good win. They drew with an average Scotland. And then they beat an average Czech Republic team. So one good win. One more good win than they had in the entireties of the World Cup. We move on to the knockout phases. And they beat Germany. And that's the best result they've had on the Southgate. A 2-0 win over Germany. And it, it's not a vintage German team by any stretch. If we look at the German team in that game, there's some players who are below par. Manuel Nauer, still a great keeper. Ginter, average. Mats Hummels, years past his best. Rudiger, average, overrated. Uh, Kimmich played out of position. Goretzka, Tony Cruz, past his best. Robin Gosens, good player. Kai Havertz, inconsistent. Thomas Muller, past his best. Timo Werner, inconsistent. Now, you did have talent coming off the bench in, in Nabry, Sané, and um, Jamal Malassia. I'm not sure why he waited so late in the game to bring on Sané and Malassia. Um, Musiala, sorry, Mus Malassia. Think of the left-back United. Musiala, Sané. None of why he waited so long to bring them on. It was 2-0 when he brought them on. Um, also brought on Emery Chan. But like that's not a that's not a German team that scares you. That's not the nineteen ninety six European Championship winning Germany or the nineteen ninety World Cup winning Germany or even the two thousand fourteen World Cup winning Germany. It's levels below that. But that's the that's the best team he's beaten. That's the best team England have beaten at a major tournament. Now, after they beat the Germans. They played an, a very, very average Ukraine. And they beat them 4-0. It was an impressive performance, but it's a very average team. And then in the semi-finals, they played an average Denmark team. A Denmark team that had no real business getting that far in the tournament. Had rolled their luck, had also had obviously the big boost of... A boost is the wrong word here. But that sort of, when Ericsson had the, the heart attack, that galvanized the team and gave them something to fight for, which was, you know, Ericsson. He was fighting for his life. They were going to fight for him. As he pulled out and, uh, and, and began to recover, it boosted the mood. And all of a sudden, they were on this high, but they were average. They were average. Like, look at the players in the team. Kasper Schmeichel passes best. Andreas Christensen, I like. Simon Kjær, years passes best. Yannick Vestergaard, muck. Uh, <laughs> Jens Stryker Larson. God love him, he's a trier, but he's not very good. Yoki Mal, I do like. Um, Heusberg's good. Thomas Delaney's average. Martin Braithwaite is average. Damsgaard is good, and Kasper Dahlberg's been a disappointment. Uh, that's an average team. And then you played... Italy in the final, and you go 1-0 up, and then you empty your bowels into your trousers. And you, what you should have gone on to win that game, but you got completely out 
performed in the second half. Italy got their goal. It went to penalties. Berardi scores. Kane scores. Belotti misses. England now have the advantage. Maguire scores. England in the advantage. Benucci scores. And then all of a sudden, something weird happens, where three lads who'd been brought on during the game, two of them, two of them brought on in the 120th minute without kicking a ball. Two of them line up to take penalties. So Marcus Rashford's the first one. This is the first time he's touched a ball in the final. He misses. Uh, Bernadeschi scores. It's advantage even. Oh, no, it's advantage back to Italy, isn't it? It's advantage back to Italy. Uh, then Sancho steps up. He's the other one that came on 120 minutes. Uh, it's 3-2 to Italy at this point. Sancho has to score. He misses. If Jorginho scores, Italy win. He misses. And then Bakayo Saka, who'd been brought on in the 71st minute after we'd had quite enough of Kieran Trippier offering very little, he misses. Like, just a, an absolute mess. So, in their two runs in these tournaments, they've beaten a good, but not by any stretch, great German team. And a good Croatian team. And again, good, but not great. Three years removed from the World Cup. And if we look at the team, uh, Levadjkovic, average. Vrisalko, average. Vida, below average. Kaleta Carr is decent. Gvardiol's outstanding, but very young. Brozovic, very good. Modric, very good. Cruz, very good. Up oh, Cruz. Uh, Kovacic, very good. Great midfield. Up front, Anti Rebic, decent. Ivan Perisic, good player. Andre Kramaric, mediocre. Vlasic, Brakalo, Petkovic, and Pasalic off the bench. Again, it's not a great team. Like the, that's why the German the German team was better than that. That's why the German team, despite not being a vintage German, that's the best win they've had under Southgate in in an important tournament. But they have had really easy paths to the final in the Euros and the semi-final in the World Cup. Like, let's not pretend this England team isn't loaded with talent because it is. And I've seen the likes of Carragher and Ollie Holt and that say, oh, well, Southgate has done better and got further with lesser caliber squads than other great managers. Right. I would say that the current England crop of players, while not having the individual talents of a Gerrard, a Rooney, an Owen, uh, a Scholes, a Beckham, outside of Kane, Trent, and Sterling, who I think you could put on a similar level to those players from the past, I think the talent pool is much bigger. Much bigger. 
Like, look at some of the players that went to international tournaments with England back in the day. Danny Mills. Starting games at international tournaments. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. To claim, like, those England teams had just incredible strength and that they didn't. They had a really good 11. A couple of players, and even that 11 never had any balance because they never had a proper defensive midfielder after Paul Ince. Like that golden generation, the team had no balance. It wasn't even a great full 11. And beyond it, there was very little. Very little. This team has good options basically everywhere, bar goalkeeper. Now, in midfield, there's only three. There's Rice, there's Bellingham, there's Phillips. That's it. But for a double pivot, that's okay. That's okay. Just keep them rotated and keep them fresh. And give the fourth guy you bring, probably Ward-Prowse, though no one Southgate will bring Henderson. Give him some minutes when games are over. But there's also a snobbishness about it. Because one of the things that stood out to me, and I like Carragher, but one of the things that stood out to me is he said Madison struggled for his place or something. No, fighting for, so he was fighting for his place last year because Rodgers was questioning. Well, first of all, Brendan Rodgers is an idiot. Brendan Rodgers is a moron. So what are we basing anything on his judgment for? Madison scored 18 goals, had 12 assists last season. From midfield. The fact that Rodgers was questioning him was merely to deflect attention away from Rodgers himself. Nothing else. And he said, there's no top six clubs banging down the door to sign him. Okay. Well, let's look at the top six then. The big six. So Man City, they have a number 10 called Kevin De Bruyne. Maybe people have heard of him. It's pretty good. United have Bruno Fernandes. He's pretty good. Chelsea have Mason Mount. He's not as good as Madison, but he is four or five years younger, and he's an academy product. Arsenal have Martin Odegaard, who's their club captain. Now, Madison's a better player, but Odegaard's their club captain. He's one of Arteta's boys. Liverpool don't play with a number 10. Spurs don't play with a number 10. But Spurs did take a look at him in the summer. And Newcastle are going to be in that big group because they're going to buy their way into it. And they tried to buy him. But him playing for Leicester, who finished fifth in back-to-back seasons, won the FA Cup in a team in which he was arguably the best player, doesn't take away from his possibility of playing for England. It's better to be starting and playing and playing well for a Leicester City than be sat on the bench for Man City. It just is when it comes to England. Mind-blowing stuff. The excuses that are made. England play awful football. Awful football. They have an exceptionally gifted group of young attackers. Exceptionally gifted. Foden, Saka, Sancho, Mount, if you want to include him. These are outstanding young players. 
Jacob Ramsey deserves to be in that England squad more than some of the players that get called up as well. But this idea that there isn't immense talent, like you're paid to watch the Premier League for a living. If you can't spot how good these players are, you're doing the wrong job. Go and do something else. And I mean, I shouldn't be surprised with Ollie Holt because the, the fellow wouldn't know his arse from his elbow. But I mean, others who, who are defending Southgate, I'm not including Carragher in this, but others who are defending Southgate should really know better. Like you've got Kane, Abraham, Tony, Watkins as four centre forward options. That's really strong. That's better than what it was when Carragher played and the likes of Danny Welbeck were getting caps and Heskey was going to World Cups. You had Rooney and Scrubs for a lot of the time. Like, Darren Bent, people wanted in the squad. He was average. Oh. Count Emile Smith-Rowe among those great young attackers as well. I left him off. He's He's outstanding. You know, Anthony Gordon, Keen Lewis Potter, really talented players. All of whom should be getting an opportunity, at least. But Southgate's a coward. And he's going to play cowardly football. And England are going to fall short. And the other thing as well is, right, with Carragher's thing, or, or whoever it was that said he's done better with, with, with less talented squads. First of all, it's not a less talented squad. It's just not. Across the board, it's just not. You don't have you don't have your great centre backs, you don't have a Gerard, but you do have a Bellingham, who's pretty special. You do have a Rice, who's pretty special. You know? You do have a Foden, a Saka, a Sterling, a Kane. Like a lot of these guys would have started. Like Trent is better than any fullback that England have had before. Just is. He just is. But it's not just, like, look at the other teams. Compare this Brazil team to the one that won the World Cup in 94 and 02. Not a patch. Not a patch on it. This Argentine squad, not a patch on what they've had before. The Italians the same. The Germans the same. Like, Spain. Belgium have aged out. They're still in the squad, but that team has passed its best now. It's not like there's elite competition out there. Italy won the last World Cup. That's or the last Euros. Compare that Italian squad to the one that won the World Cup in 06. The 06 team would wipe the floor with the 2021 team. Compare the French squad that won the last World Cup to the one that won it in 98. Now, the French are the one I think you'd look at and say, without question, they've got the most talent. But they've got a bad manager. The Portuguese, I would say, next in terms of starting talent. But they don't have the depth of England. But they're held back with the fact that their manager plays horrendous football. And they're built to play around a fellow who shouldn't be in the team anymore. Who's holding them back. Like, they're the only two I would look at in Europe and say... That is, without doubt, a better 11 than England can put together. But it's still close enough with Portugal. I think the French, they're having an incredible generation of talent. They've got a bad manager. 
They won the last World Cup in spite of Deschamps, not, not because of him. Argentina is Messi and friends. And Brazil, I mean, their defence isn't very good. Fred plays in midfield. <laughs> what are we talking about? There isn't great competition out there. So it shouldn't matter if you don't think the England squad is as talented as what it was before. One of the reasons it's not as talented is because Southgate keeps picking Harry Maguire and Connor Cody and Eric Dyer and Jordan Henderson, lads that have no business being in the England squad. That's why the squad's not as talented as it was 15 years ago. It's not because the players aren't there. Jesus Christ. But the competition's not as good either. Like, beat France, you should win the competition. That's basically it. Ugh. After this World Cup, Southgate needs to go. He needs to go. There's no reason to keep him after this World Cup. He's never been a good manager. He was garbage with Middlesbrough. He did all right with the 21s. Like, they won the Toulon tournament. Congrats, let's all throw a party. He failed at the at the Euros. He should have beaten that Italian team. That wasn't a great Italian team by any stretch. Uh, they did finish third in the Nations League. Well done. Probably got that bronze medal framed at home. But he is holding this team back without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt, he is holding this team back. And he needs to go after this tournament. As for who can replace him, broaden your horizons. Doesn't have to be an English manager really doesn't have to be an English manager. Doesn't also have to be a past his best European legend. You don't have to wait for Capello to be past the point where he's a great manager to bring him in. You could go and get a great young manager who'd like this opportunity. You could go and get a Ruben Amorim. You could, genuinely. You offer Thomas Tuchel enough money, I think he'd take it. I do think he'd take it. Pochettino might take it, if the money was right. But see, they want a cheap option. Southgate got the job because he was cheap. They'd originally have given the job to Southgate after Hodgson, but they knew there'd be some backlash. So they gave it to Big Sam, and then obviously he was exposed as being a little bit corrupt. And uh, they gave it to Southgate because he was cheap. That's what happened there. We'll do the gossip and we'll get out of here. There's a few days worth, but I'm only going to do... Ah, we'll just run through it all. Arsenal could be set for a 110 million double swoop for Dusan Vlahovic and Fabio Moretti of Juventus. No, they're not. Um, the Gunners have also made contact with Eintracht Frankfurt about Jesper Lindstrom. He'd be a good signing as a squad player who you, who you can develop. Uh, England defender Trevo Chalaba has been linked with a move to Roma in January. Wolves are said, oh, sorry, um, Juventus are said to be considering a move for Wolves forward Adama Traore in January. He is out of contract next summer, so he's definitely going to be available. Juventus are keen to bring in Antoine Griezmann, Marco Asensio, and Christian Pulisic. 
I can only assume that how Juventus are currently scouting is they've got a copy of Football Manager 2019 and they're just going by who was good then. Uh, Barcelona are rushing to finalise a cup prize, cup prize £22 million deal for Griezmann's permanent transfer to Atletico Madrid. That's a decent price. Uh, Chelsea have made an offer. Sorry, Chelsea made an offer and Arsenal contacted Everton over Richarlison before Tottenham signed him. I think Richarlison himself is the source of that news. Uh, French side Nice have denied targeting Mauricio Pochettino and are said to be interested in Scott Parker. I love it. Liverpool have opened talks with Naby Keita and are confident in securing an agreement. I hope he leaves. Uh, Newcastle retained their interest in James Madison. Fortunately, it's not a big enough club to keep some people happy. Uh, Switzerland midfielder Dennis Zakaria has revealed Liverpool beat, sorry, Chelsea beat Liverpool to a signature. That's not true. Um, but whatever you need to do to make yourself popular with the local fans, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City are all looks looking at Villarreal midfielder Alex Bena, who has a 35 million release clause. Um, I, I have doubts that this is true. I have doubts that it's true, but he is a good player. There's no question he's a good player. He's had a really good start to the season. I just I just have doubts that all four of those are, are looking at him. Um, City, I could definitely see. <clears throat> Chelsea and Manchester City are interested in Rafael Leao. Tottenham boss Antonio Conte is open, is open to return to Juventus this season. No, he's not. Nonsense. Real journalists have reported that he actually wants to sign a new deal at Spurs. Crap journalists want to stir the pot. Eden Hazard has spoken about, spoken about his delicate situation at Real Madrid. Um, if by delicate you mean you've been an enormous flop and people have forgotten about you, yeah, sure. Um, here we go. Manchester United will trigger a 12-month option to extend Marcus Rashford's contract. United are considering whether to take the option to extend David De Gea's contract. You lose them for free otherwise, so I assume they will. Uh, Jude Bellingham could leave Borussia Dortmund for £85 million next summer as long as the entire fee is paid up front, with Man City convinced they will beat Liverpool, Chelsea and United to a signature. Uh, James Madison, yada, yada. James Madison, Newcastle could run and run for the rest of the... for the next six months at least. Um, Aston Villa and Argentina goalkeeper... Emi Martinez has been identified by Atletico Madrid as a potential replacement for Jan Oblak. I don't think Oblak is going to leave, but if he does, yeah, I mean, Martinez is good, but he is older than Oblak, so I'm not sure that's the wisest decision. Um, Maurizio Pochettino is keen on managing Aston Villa. Have I not been calling this for quite a while, that that's who they should target? You'll find an article somewhere on EPL Index from two years ago, where I said that that's who Villa should go for. Um, Arsenal had Ren midfielder Lovro Meyer watched again when the 24-year-old played. They don't need Lovro Meyer. They have Fabio Vieira. They have Mark Nodegaard. It's the same player. Meyer is better than both of them, but the same player. Chelsea are prepared to pay £30 million for Fulham's 17-year-old forward Luke Harris. Uh, Luke Harris has been called up by Wales for games against Poland and Belgium. 
He's meant to be exceptionally talented. I think I thought he was a midfielder, not a forward. I don't know. He's meant to be exceptionally talented. I haven't seen him. Um, Thirty million seems a bit ridiculous, but you know it is Chelsea. Uh, Everton midfielder Alan has agreed to join Al Wada in the UAE. He has completed that deal by the looks of things. Saw a picture of him wearing the jersey today, looking very happy to be away from Everton. Danny Rose is in talks to join Wigan. How the mighty have fallen. From anything from Milan to no, get your ass to Wigan, son. That's not great. Barcelona will hold talks with Frankie de Jong at the end of the season about the money he is owed and the wages moving forward. I reckon he'll probably want that that those talks to happen sooner. Uh, Sergio Busquets, it looks like he'll go to MLS at the end of the season. Barcelona will try to extend Hector Bellerin's deal for them beyond next summer but he may want to return to Real Betis. I think he does. I don't think he ever wanted to go to Barca, to be honest. Or he didn't originally, I think, want to go to Barca, but I think once he had the season at Betis, he wanted to stay with them. Manchester City have reached an agreement in principle on a new contract with Phil Foden, believed to be a six-year deal worth about 250 grand a week. I mean, that is ridiculous money for a player of his age. I know he's super talented, but that money is absolutely obnoxious. Like, that guy's going to be earning 400 grand a week by the time he's 25, five, 600 grand a week by the time he's 29. I mean, nothing against him. Get all your money, Phil Foden, but football is not going to be sustainable if this is where it goes. Belgium international Romelu Lukaku does not plan to return to Chelsea at the end of the season. Um, Inter are expected to renew the loan deal for a second year. I don't think he's played for them yet. Uh, Leandro Trossard says he's willing to follow Graham Potter to Chelsea, but he would want to play and not sit on the bench. You're not good enough to play for Chelsea, I'm afraid, Mr. Trossard. You're a good player, but stay in your lane. Uh, Virgil van Dijk believes Jurian Timber is further along in his development at the age of 21 than van Dijk was. I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, Manchester United are targeting Jordan Pickford. God, I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. Juventus are prepared to make an offer for Anton Griezmann, yada, yada. Uh, the, the, the Argentina defender Lisandro Martinez says he did not pay attention to criticism during the early part of the season. Uh, well, you're going to get a lot more when you play against good teams, I'm afraid, son. Uh, Leicester could make a move for Robin Gosens, who can play left-back or left-midfield. Um, yeah, I mean, a good player. Much better as a wing-back than a full-back, but, you know, He'd be a good addition, I suppose. If they're going to play wing-backs, him, him and Pereira as wing-backs would be really good. And you could play James Justin as one of your back three. You'd still need a centre-back, though. Uh, him, Foyt, or Foot, or how, however you say his name, and uh, and the other centre-back. You'd, you'd need to bring one in, though. Um, Rangers are prepared to sell Glenn Kamara in the January transfer window. Fair enough. And finally, Serbia midfielder Nemanja Matic is, is on track to trigger an automatic contract renewal with the Serie A club. It's, if he plays a certain amount of games over the course of the season, he will automatically get another year added to his contract. That is it. That is me for the day. We have made about, what, an hour and 20 minutes out of, out of Watford sacking the manager the Sidemen FC charity game, England and gossip. That's not, that's fair go. That's fair go. You'll never be able to say, I don't give you something. Now I won't be here tomorrow 
Um, I have an appointment tomorrow. Uh, so I won't be here, but I will be back on Wednesday and then we'll be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then there's one day for certain in October that I, I have a, I have physio, but, uh, I, that I can't get out of that day, but everything else I'm moving around to be able to do it. So October, we should be more on track. September has been a bit of a messy month, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah, not here tomorrow, back Wednesday and then business as usual from then on bar that one day in October. So I will see you Wednesday. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.